Live. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I've been asked to remind people next week is Armed Forces Week in Milwaukee. Lots of big events going on. You'll see a military presence. Um, I encourage you to go to the website if you just put in Armed Forces Week. You, you can check it out. Lots of different events that are going on. Um, I'm going to be emceeing their big uh, dinner that they have on Monday night at the Wisconsin Club. I do that pretty much every year. Always looking forward to that. So if you wonder why there's activity and stuff and you happen to see it going on or you want to participate in some of the events, like I say, check it out, Armed Forces Week, next week. All right, we start off today's program like we start off every program, three big things. This is, it is a story that haunts me. But it is one of many stories that haunt me because it is the same story all around. On our news today, you know, we heard, you know, they, they had clips from Tom Barrett and the police chief and, you know, the county executive all patting themselves on the back because they've developed this policy now where Milwaukee police will have real-time access to the location of juveniles wearing court-ordered GPS monitoring devices. So what happens is when you get some of these progressively educated teenagers who have committed crime after crime after crime and the judges in Milwaukee County refuse to lock them up, what they do is they will give them these bracelets, these um, you know, GPS devices. But the problem is nobody tracks the GPS devices. So you've got the, these kids that are running around and they're you know out after curfew or they're where they're not supposed to be or whatever. And, and the idea behind this is that if we if we get an alert that somebody is not where they are supposed to be, well, then we can go investigate and try to catch them and bring them back home. Okay, fine. I, I, I don't have an issue with this. doesn't seem to me it's going to be extremely effective. You know, gee, you've got the kid who should be in jail in the first place who's now out after curfew or whatever. You're going to track him down, find him, bring him back to, like, the same home where mom or dad are punched out and could care less about the kid. I don't know that that's going to deter crime, but I don't have an issue with it one way or the other. And I admit it sounds stupid to me that you would have people who are on tracking devices and yet that there's nobody out there that track them. So, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with this, but but let's face it. This is, I was going to say it's like putting a Band-Aid on a wound that requires amputation, but but that might not even cover it. It is like... I don't know. It's like putting Bactine on a wound that caused that needs amputation. Here's the latest story. Milwaukee father dies from collision involving stolen car. Actually, the headline on today's TMJ4 said accident. This is not an accident. This is a collision. Father's life because others choose to take a joyride. Phil Franklin, 47, wasn't too far from home Wednesday night when the driver of a wait-for-it stolen Audi A6... Um, the, the story uses the phrase T-boned. I, I just, I don't like that term. I never have. But what, what happens is he's in the intersection with the right-of-way. Car runs through the intersection um, at a high rate of speed, slams into the side of the vehicle. Anyhow, that happens to the guy's Grand Am near 13th and Greenfield Avenue. Um, he was turning left when the speeding car hit him. The father of four died at the scene. While wait for it, the people in the stolen car ran away. One of uh, the victim's ex-wife says, this is senseless, senseless that these kids are stealing cars and they didn't understand what they are doing to families. Witnesses heard the cars collide. We heard a loud boom. We ran to the front windows. We see the black Audi. It's completely lit in flames. Another witness said she saw two girls and two guys take off. 
One came back and grabbed something from the stolen car. Three went that way. One went this way. They're screaming, go, 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 says the witness. She called 911, ran outside to try to open the door. We tried hard to save him. We tried, but we couldn't get him out. All right, so here you have the circumstances. You have four presumably juveniles who are driving a stolen $60,000 vehicle. They run through an intersection, high rate of speed. They hit and kill someone. Their concern is, can we get whatever identifying information we have out of the car so we're going to run away? Now they are at large. Maybe the cops will catch them, maybe not. Typically, they do solve hit and runs, but in this case, it's a hit and run involving a stolen car. So it's tougher to trace things back to who stole the car. Now, I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb too much when I say that if and when they catch these four kids, four people, my guess is they're probably going to be juveniles. My guess is they are probably going to be juveniles for whom this is not their first time at the rodeo. My guess, because I just don't think you wake up one day and say, here, we're going to go steal an Audi A6 and we're going to drive it at a high rate of speed. And then once we blow through an intersection and hit and presumably kill somebody, we're going to run away and leave the man for dead. I don't think you just wake up one morning and decide to do that. My guess is that most, if not all, of the people involved in this, whether they're juveniles or adults, probably juveniles, have been through the revolving door criminal justice system on multiple occasions. My guess is they have been involved in stealing cars before. And now you have a situation where someone is dead because they were involved in stealing cars, they continued to do it, and they didn't realize and were never taught that there are consequences for this. So where do we go with this? Well, here's the bottom line. I think car theft is a big deal. And I think now, if they, if, and I think it's a big if, if they catch the people that did this, I mean, obviously, you know, people are going to be now going to prison because somebody is dead as a result of this. But you shouldn't have to wait till somebody dies in order for there to be consequences for this type of behavior. And here's the way, and I understand there's going to be heads just exploding all over there. We can't do this. Here's the bottom line. I think stealing cars is a big deal. I think we have treated it as a harmless prank for way too long. And I think what we need to do is to start saying mandatory jail sentences or prison sentences for people who steal cars. You know, drunk driving is supposed to carry mandatory minimum sentences. At some point in time, don't we say, regardless of whether you're 15 years old or regardless of whether you're 35 years old, if you steal somebody, in this case, probably a fifty or $60,000 car, you're going to go to jail. And, you know, I don't know that you throw them in jail for 20 years, but you're going to go to jail. Remember that story a while back where you had the 15-year-old who was identified and implicated in, what, 22 car thefts? And some circuit, some juvenile court judge puts him out on bond. He shouldn't be out on bond. He should be in jail. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Until we start locking people up for stealing cars, stuff like this is going to continue to happen. And if that means we have to build more juvenile facilities or it means we need to clear out more prison space, so be it. It is time to start protecting the rest of us. And if you can't 
behave. If you can't conform yourself to the requirements that most civilized societies expect, then you need to be removed from society for a while. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's time for mandatory minimum penalties for car theft. Oh, my gosh, that's going to be so tough. No. How hard is it to tell somebody don't steal someone else's car? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 846. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And I want to be real clear here. I'm not talking about carjacking, taking a taking a taking somebody's car at gunpoint, which I believe also should have a mandatory minimum jail sentence. I, I do. You stick a gun in somebody's face, use a gun to commit a crime of violence in the state of Wisconsin, I believe you should go to prison for a designated period of time. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. I'm talking, though, about car theft. It has gotten to be an epidemic here. And this isn't kids going out on joy rides. They are endangering the lives of all sorts of people. Here you have the story the other day. Stolen Audi, blow through uh, an intersection, hit and kill a 40-some-year-old man, and then two boys, two girls. I presume they're juveniles. I presume they have been in the juvenile justice system before. But I don't care. They run away. They flee. They leave the man to die. Well, yeah, if they catch them, yeah, they're going to go to jail. Okay, that's what's going to happen. But, you know, we shouldn't be waiting this long. The first time you get caught stealing a car, there should be consequences that include incarceration, not, gee, you know, you've been implicated in 22 car thefts, but, you know, I don't think we've exhausted remedies in the juvenile justice system. How nuts is that? Let's talk to Tom in West Dallas. Tom, good morning. Tom. When, when these when these kids they take these cars and that you know uh, whether it's a fifty thousand dollar car or a fifty dollar car it, it's it's more than just a monetary thing. A lot of these people depend on these vehicles yep. to take themselves to work and hospital appointments and, and yeah. you feel you feel violated. It, right, it's how you get to work. It's how you get around. It's really no different than breaking into somebody's house and looting it. I mean, you're taking their possession. Absolutely. Oh, exactly. And, you know, and, and the mandatory jail time, yes, most definitely. These, these people need to come off the streets. And we want to talk about how we want to utilize other resources to help rehab them. Well, here's the deal. Put them in jail. you got a captive audience, okay? Now you invest the dollars right. to do the rehab, to give right. them schooling and job training and whatever. Right. But you do it there while you have them there. Right. As opposed to, I mean, thanks for call. As opposed to saying, all right, this is going to be double secret probation. Here, you know, you've now stolen three cars. We're going to put a GPS bracelet on your on your leg. So when you walk away, when you're out at 2 o'clock in the morning, okay, this thing goes off and we can find you and we can bring you back to mom and dad who don't care in the first place. No, that is not acceptable. At some point in time, I think you have to stand up for the law-abiding citizens who are sick as hell of being victimized. And that is what is going on now. This is a different type of thing. We're not talking about American graffiti in 1957 where you got a couple kids, hey, it's fun, let's take a car out on a joyride. You are talking about the systematic effort to not only steal cars but then be just completely and totally unaccountable. They hit and killed a man, ran away, left him for dead. One of the punks goes back and apparently takes something out of the burning stolen car, presumably because they were afraid it might identify or help identify them. I hope they find fingerprints. I hope they prosecute them. I hope John Chisholm, in this case, he probably has to because there's somebody dead, but it shouldn't get to this point. You steal a car, you should go to jail. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. 
Morning, Jeff. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, lock them up, put a mandatory minimum of some couple of years. Yep. It sends a message. If nothing else, it takes them off the street so they don't do this again. Right. It, it, right. Yeah. If nothing else, even if it doesn't rehabilitate the particular thug, it at least protects decent citizens from the kid going out and stealing more cars or a young adult. I mean, or or 35 year old. I mean, I, I wouldn't specify this. It, just juvenile. Lock people up for stealing cars. A car is a major investment, and people yeah. spend a lot of their hard-earned income for it. I had somebody attempt to steal my car. They caused about three hundred and fifty dollars worth of damage. Yep. Of course, I couldn't. Re- I didn't report it to my insurance because it was going to. My deductible was about that. Right. I had to take a half a day off. I had to go and get it fixed. But luckily, I came out and caught the guy as he was trying to do it, and he ran away. Right. Uh, another car pulled up, and they and they drove away. But because they don't take it seriously, and and the judges in in Milwaukee County, I had a friend who had his car stolen. And the judges don't take it seriously either because no. they say, "Oh, insurance covers everything. You're gonna ha- <laughs> you're gonna be insured, and you know the damage and everything they cost yeah. cause is fine." Well, but. You know, we pay for that insurance, and then our insurance goes up right. because of all of this. Well, not to, ma- not to matter all the, the inconvenience. I mean, like the, the cl- classic example, a lot of people just, they, they depend on their car. They have one car. You come out, your car is gone. It has disappeared. All right, that is a, ma- you're not going to be able to get to work. You're going to have to make alternative arrangements. But the, but the other point, Mike, is I mean, it's, it is a big deal. Why are we coddling the punks that are out there committing these crimes? I agree. Lock them up. Yeah, thank, right. Lock them up. Take the discretion away from the judges, and then the message gets out. You steal a car. I mean, okay, I, this Audi, and I mean, I understand cars have all sorts of different values. I mean, my guess is Audi A6. I don't know what year it is, but again, it's probably like a fifty plus thousand dollar car. I mean, seriously, you walk into a bank, you steal fifty thousand dollars, you're going to be going to prison. Why is it different for stealing a fifty thousand dollar vehicle? But again, the, the dollar amount doesn't matter because I appreciate the fact that you know, regardless, stealing somebody's property. When is it time that we're going to start looking out for the law abiding citizens? Citizens who are tired of being victimized. And again, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe these four punks who were driving the stolen car and hit and killed this 40-some-year-old man, maybe this was their first time at the rodeo. Maybe they didn't know the car was stolen. But if you really want to think that, my advice is be sure you tuck your left shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. Let's talk to Jake in Caledonia. Jake, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Morning, Chuck. Jake. He really wants to get ahead of this and want to take it seriously. Get some bait cars. Yep. Do a setup. Yep. Uh, so they drive away. They can remotely lock the vehicle and shut the engine off and arrest right. them. Well, the, I, see, and I agree with you, Jake, but the problem is you need to do that in conjunction with changing the laws. I have lots of friends who are cops, and they will tell they, what they tell me is one of the biggest frustrations is – well, one of the reasons that car theft is not as much of a priority as it should be is because they catch them, and then the court system does nothing with them. So it's it's like, okay, yeah. you catch these people who've, like, stolen the cars. That The kid that they caught implicated in 22 robber, 22 car thefts. The judge, some judge puts them back on the street again right away. So the cops are frustrated. So, yeah, you could do that, but you also need, I think, to take the matter out of the hands of the judges and say, when we catch you, you're going to go to jail or you're going to go to prison. But I, I'm all in favor of, you know, aggressively trying to catch people. But then you got to do something with them when you catch them. Sure. You need to have a, at least, a, you know, two, three-year minimum. Right. You, know, you got to send a message. Yes, yeah, exactly. Thanks for the call. And, and, and maybe maybe once that message gets out, that you can't do this, that we're going to take it seriously, that this is not some lark. Now, I understand there's people listening to me going, well, that means you're going to be removing these kids from the community. Yes. 
that that means you're going to be you know putting him in some of these juvenile detention facilities or these these juvenile prisons yes that means that they're going to be surrounded by more criminals yes okay all right well then they have a decision because what we're doing now does not work and people are dying because of it and it is time for law-abiding citizens to stand up and say enough is enough how many more people in this community are going to have to die because we are soft on people who steal cars and take them out on joyrides or whatever they're trying to do with them I care about the innocent people because here's the here's the truth of this, and this is why everybody should care. Everybody who's listening to me right now, you should care about this case. That could have been you. That could have been your wife. That could have been your husband. That could have been your kids. Here you got a guy who's just literally a few blocks away from where he lives. He, he's just driving down the street. He's turning left. He's got the right of way, and a stolen car hits and kills him. That could have been any of us. So that's why it is this randomness. It is this fear. Yeah, it's great. Let's use GPS to try to track them. Well, okay, most of these people shouldn't be out on the streets in the first place. When will the system wake up? And this is kind of a cautionary tale. Legislators like to do stuff. All right, this is one where, in my opinion, the laws are way behind where the general public is. And if some of the usual suspects want to cry and complain that this is too tough, all right, how many funerals have they attended of people who have been killed as a result of this type of behavior, 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A big thing number two is coming up. People are all up in arms about the arrest of a reporter. The way it's being presented is the reporter was asking questions. Is that really what the guy got arrested for? Stick around, 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 908, this is Jeff Wagner. I, I, it's difficult to speak in generalities, but... I, I, and I have nobody individual in mind, but collectively, if you are looking for a profession, the people who are in it for either a short time or a long time, and collectively, I'm, there, there's individual exceptions, of course, but just collectively, if you're trying to find it in, in a profession where people consider themselves to be self-entitled and rules don't apply the rules that the ordinary people have to apply, that it would be it would be quote unquote journalism. The, the reporters, you, you find again people who think, and everybody says we're Woodward, everybody thinks they're Woodward and Bernstein, and everybody thinks that we're we're going to be the one that breaks the so we the rules don't have to apply because we're out there for the public good. I mean, I, I talked about this what last week. The Journal Sentinel gets a hold of stolen documents. Somebody hacks into the Bradley Foundation's um, Bradley Foundation's computer. They steal proprietary information. They dump it at the Journal Sentinel, and the Journal Sentinel writes stories about it to sell newspapers using the stolen information. What do, what does it make somebody? <laughs> Let me think. What's the word when somebody? steals something from someone else that does not belong to them and then this gives it to someone else a third party who isn't the person that actually stole it but knows that the information was stolen and that then that person then passes it on um and makes money passing it on like selling newspapers what's the word for that oh yes it's fence you are a fence. You are fencing stuff. But, of course, in, in the world of journalism, it's like, well, you know, we, we don't have problems with that because we're not the ones that stole it because we think there's this greater good. 
um, which is in my in my opinion, just a load of, of just hooey. You're, you're nothing but a fence. And it's a sad state, like I said last week. I mean, if this is what ethics has become in journalism, well, you, you, can, you can be a journalist that's, if that's what it is. But here, here's another story. The question is, you know, do the regular rules apply to you? Now, I am frequently, because of just, you know, what I do for a living and things I have done in the past, I am frequently around, or at least occasionally around, people who have police protection. I mean, for example, when, when we did Insight a couple of weeks ago, um, the, the governor and the first lady were, were our guests. And so there, there, is, there is security around the governor. And, you know, there's when, – when the governor comes into an, an area – there, there's always going to be again whether it, who, whoever it is that, that's doing the security, it's there, and and as particularly for people who aren't known, who are strangers or whatever, there, there's always these kind of rules that you don't you don't just go up, you know, you, you don't just go up and push your way through a couple police officers to try to you know get to the governor. You, you don't do that. No, it's now and again it's, it's going to vary from circumstance to circumstance. But there are these kind of I want to kind of say rules of engagement and way you approach people and things like that. And pretty much everybody understands them. All right, so here's what happens on Tuesday. The um, the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Tom Price, he's with Kellyanne Conway, who is, of course, everybody knows Kellyanne Conway, the advisor to President Trump. They are in West Virginia, and they are in the West Virginia state capital, and they are headed to a meeting. Now, the, 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 this was not a press availability. This was not like a news conference or anything like that. They're, they're in the hallway. And they're headed towards they're headed towards a meeting, and there's this reporter. The guy's name is Dan Heyman, and he sees them, and he decides he wants to stalk them. So what he does is, is he takes out his cell phone, and he starts then chasing after them. So Kellyanne Conway and and Tom Price they're walking down the hall. They've got the they've got the guards around them and things like that. This guy is heading down the hall, and he's shouting questions. At at Price at at uh, Secretary Price, he's apparently you know yelling about this this pre-existing condition thing. You know, are, are you going to eliminate pre-existing conditions? Do you think it's right or not? Do you think it's right? It's not or not. And I mean, this isn't a news conference. The Secretary uh, Tom Price is just ignoring him. He, he's walking on. The guy is continuing to walk after. He's shouting questions. Um, you refuse to answer. Tell me no comment. Tell me no con. Uh, tell me no comment. And apparently, what he's doing is he's reaching. He's then like he's, he's got his like cell phone out. He's reaching over the Secret Service people, you know, to try to get this cell phone in the face of either Kellyanne Conway or the secretary. At one point in time, apparently, um, one of the the agents, one of the whether it's Capitol Police or Secret Service or whatever, one of them says. Back up! Don't get too close to her. You know, it's like, hey, stay, stay away. We're supposed to be protecting her. After persisting in his questions for nearly a minute, so he doesn't listen when they tell him, "Hey, back up!" He's just screaming, "Hey, yo, give me an answer! Give me an answer!" And this goes on. It's not just once or twice. It goes on for a minute, and a minute is a long time in a setting like this. As they're walking down the hall, I mean, a minute. I, I if I, if I just. 
watched, look at my watch and, and went a minute and didn't say anything, that would be a lot of dead air. It's a long time. But he's following down the hall. They tell him, you know, back, back off, don't get too close to her. After persisting in his questions for nearly a minute, he's pulled to the side by officers of the West Virginia Division of Protective Services. They're the Capitol Police. And then he's, he's arrested and he's charged with willful disruption of governmental process. Okay, this is now... This is now an outrage. Uh, it's, it, you've got the media that is just all completely up in arms that this guy was arrested. He's arrested for exercising the First Amendment rights. We have freedom of the press, all this stuff. Well, okay, the, now the authorities say, no, he, he wasn't arrested for asking the questions. He was arrested for following these people and trying to get in their faces and not backing off when he was told to. So he's not being arrested for the asking the question. He's being asked, arrested for, again, the aggressive behavior and the sticking the cell phone in their face and continuing to follow them after he'd been told not to. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, if you read the stories about this, there's this incredible outrage. Oh, this is the Trump administration. They're trying to stifle the media. This is They're trying to kill objective journalism and all. All right. I mean, do the police, and Tom Price, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, he says, look, I mean, I, I wasn't the one that said to arrest him. Um, the police decided that he, he was ignoring their orders, and you know, their job is to protect us, and they thought that this guy went too far. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I don't know if you go ahead and issue charges and try to put the guy in jail, but at the same time, I don't think this reporter is a victim here. I understand everybody has their jobs to do, but at the same time, you know, the police have their job to do, too. They are charged with protecting, in this case, the Secretary of Human Services and the advisor to the president. And you might not like him and you might not like her, but when you have somebody who's running down a hallway, leaning over agents, told to back off because their job is to protect people, and he doesn't do it, are they just supposed to let him go because, gee, he's a reporter asking a story, out, out for a story? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I don't know about pursuing charges, but I don't have any sympathy for pulling this guy away. I think he was wrong. 916, Jeff Wagner, what do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 919, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Is the idea of toll roads back on the table in Madison? Are GOP lawmakers seriously considering this as a way to pay for the state's transportation needs? Scafidi and Billstead have the new details today at 1235. Hey, if you haven't checked out the show, do it. They do a great job. Uh, Steve Scafidi is a great, in my opinion, great addition to our staff. And he and Eric Billstead do a great job. And, um... Uh, that was one of the big questions after I started in this new time slot. What's going to go in noon to three? You know, you did it for you know, 18 years or whatever. Well, um, Scafidi and Billstead, I think they're doing a great job, and I'm very pleased to have that show following me. So check it out if you haven't given it a, a listen. All right. Um, on our WTMJ text line, I, this kind of, I think, really kind of hits home. And this is what I, I think you know, most people are realizing um, it all goes down to following directions. People don't do it anymore because there is no punishment. 
Um, let's see. Jeff and Tosa writes, um, instructor and Milwaukee Journal veteran uh, reporter in the UWM news reporting course um, told us that if a cop tells you to leave, you do it. This these journalists disregarded basic uh, conduct standards. I have no sympathy. Now, see that that that's it. And I always say, all right, switch the situation around. All right, let us assume that this is Eric Holder. All right, the 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 former Attorney General of the United States under Barack Obama. In my opinion. Uh, perhaps the you know, the worst unindicted attorney general in the history of the country. But, okay, Eric Holder is in West Virginia. Eric Holder, who is surrounded by Secret Service, um, walking down a hallway. And you have a conservative reporter. You have somebody from Breitbart, for example, who sees him. This isn't a press conference. He's walking down the hall on the way to the meeting. The guy comes up, the reporter comes up and shouts at Holder, you know, why are you letting drug dealers out? Holder keeps walking. Why are you letting drug dealers out? And one of the Secret Service people or one of the cops says, hey, you, 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 need to, you need to back off. Don't get so close. And the guy continues to follow Holder. Just imagine this for a minute. And like I tell you, a minute is a long time. A minute is screaming the same question over and over again. Give me a no comment. Say something. Say something. Okay, after that goes on for a while, you don't think that somebody would have jacked the guy up? I mean, Seriously? And if that happened, you know what the stories would have been in the national media? Oh, conservative reporter stalks attorney general. There would be no sympathy. But in this particular case, you've got the exact flip side on it. You have flip side of this. You have this reporter who is, in my opinion, behaving badly, who is, again, trying to get the story. I mean, who in their right mind, you know, reaches, takes their cell phone, reaches it over a cop, trying to stick it in the face of whether it's Kellyanne Conway or Tom Price or whatever, who does that, who continues to do that, who continues walking with them after they tell him to back off, and you do that. Then you wonder, gee, you got arrested. He didn't get a. And then, of course, what drives me nuts about the whole thing is the way the, the media covers this. He's arrested for asking questions. Now, he's not arrested for asking questions. He's arrested for getting in the face of these people, trying to get through their protection, and then not following instructions. Now, this isn't an attack on journalism. This is bad behavior, in my opinion, by some self, some self-entitled guy who thinks, oh, gee, because I work for some newspaper or whatever, I have the right to do what I want anytime I want, especially since it's somebody from the Trump administration. Well, bad behavior is bad behavior. Again, I'm, I'm not saying you put him in prison, and I, I don't know what you gain by going ahead and prosecuting him, but the actual separating him and arresting him for misconduct and for failure to follow the instructions, yeah, that's not a blow to the First Amendment. It's just saying, hey, cops have their jobs to do, too, which includes trying to protect these various people from folks, reporters or not, who decide that they want to stalk them and ignore instructions. And by the way, responsible, ethical reporters, you know, don't don't do that. (laughs) They just don't do that. But that's, I don't know, I think maybe, again, we're speaking in generalities, but a lot of the old rules I don't think apply anymore. It's 924, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 
926. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In light of President Trump's firing James Comey, is there a crisis of confidence inside the federal government? John McCure explores that at 340 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We'll take a shot at that um, right now. This, of course, has been the overriding story for the last couple days. Um... New York Times has this piece. Here's the headline. For Trump supporters, the real outrage is the left's uproar over Comey. The script should be familiar now. President Trump takes action that stuns the country, eliciting indignation and disbelief from Democrats and leading them to conclude that the vitality of American democracy is under assault. Yet among those who are sympathetic to the president, a minority to be sure, but somewhere around 40% of the country, according to recent polls, the outrage is that Mr. Trump is again being held to an unfair standard set by the very people and institutions that tried to stop his election in the first place. Democrats, resentful Republicans, and perhaps most of all, the news media. To that point, I, I watched part of this interview with Lester Holt that he that he did with, with Donald Trump, with President Trump. And look, I as I've said this before, I understand why people don't like Donald Trump. Uh, to me, I understand why, for, for me, I work very hard to try to sep- separate the 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 style from the substance. But there's a lot of people who don't like the substance as well, um, but I, I think it's important to, to do that. I, I watched that interview. I, I watched Holt interrupt. It reminded me of the way I used to cross-examine drug dealers back in the day in the U.S. Attorney's Office. He was interrupting. He didn't let Trump finish a sentence. It was like, oh, you said you had this meeting. Who was there? Well, was it a man or a woman? How blah, blah, blah. It was one interruption after another. I just remember thinking, you would never have done that to Barack Obama. You just would not have done that to him because, well, you would have treated him differently. But but that's you know, that's another issue. So it, it's true that you have this outrage that at least some people have, you know, worked up over the firing of the FBI director. Um, there's a commentary in the Washington Post. I'm looking at this. Fire, former Watergate prosecutor, Comey's firing is as bad as the Saturday night massacre. As one of three assistant special prosecutors who tried Watergate's obstruction of justice case, I know obstruction when I see it. And President Donald Trump's firing of FBI Director James Comey, days after Comey asked for more money and resources to investigate collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government, is obstruction of the magnitude of Watergate. It is comparable to the smoking gun tape that revealed the first step of the Watergate cover-up, etc., etc. Really? Comey's firing is as bad as the Saturday Night Massacre. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Again, I I understand why there is all this gnashing of the teeth over Donald Trump. I understand that in some people's minds, they, they just... They view him as somebody who should never have been elected president. They are stunned that he has been elected president. And I certainly understand that a lot of people are put off by a lot of the things he does, including the tweets and things like that. But at the same time, at the same time, is this reaction over the firing of James Comey, is it completely and totally over the top? Have we collectively lost our minds about this? Because like I say, the investigation into Trump and alleged collusion with the Russians, I mean, that's going to continue. I mean, is this a manufactured crisis by the news media and by people who don't like Trump? Or 
Do you think there's really something there? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I will share my theories, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 934. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, WTMJ's Classic Free Ride is now officially out of our garage, ready to head into yours. You can now register to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible heading to, by heading to WTMJ.com, sponsored by Prescient Financial Services, Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget, if you text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620, you can check out a photo gallery of what might be your next car. All right, I, I've been watching the, this, this media uproar. For the last couple days, and I, I have to admit, it, I kind of find it all funny. Bottom line is, at least in my opinion, what happened is Donald Trump demands absolute loyalty. He didn't feel he was getting it from James Comey. Lord knows Comey has made a ton of mistakes. Up until two weeks ago, you've got Democrats who were demanding that he be fired. I think Trump got progressively more PO'd candidly at him and finally just decided I'm going to fire him. I don't think there was an effort to stifle investigations into Russians and things like that. It was just he got mad at him. He didn't like him. He fired him. The investigations are going to continue. I think it's amazing now to see Democrats crying all these crocodile tears about this or, you know, the media running stories. This is like Watergate. It's nothing like the Watergate thing. It's just was Trump's were the optics bad? Yeah, should he have probably waited because again this is a distraction for more important things. But is this really at the end of the day much ado about nothing? I think absolutely. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Hi Mike. Hey, I think it's much to do about nothing. The Democrats wanted Comey fired a couple weeks ago. Now they're crying about that Trump fired him. And I think you know, if the media would just get kind of behind Trump and we could all live together and instead of uh Causing discord, and uh, you know, I, just I, I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. Were, were you were you smoking? I mean, the media getting behind Trump. Um, the no, <laughs> were you smoking? No, Trump. no, we're, no, 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 no. I know you were saying you you think if they could just do that. Are you smoking something this morning? I mean, the only way the media is going to be behind Trump if they're get is if they're getting ready to push him out of an airplane or off a roof or something well, like that. Ab- yeah. Absolutely, I'm just I'm just yeah. like being optimistic. Right. I'm just saying, you know, if they would get behind the guy. And kind of right. work together. I know they hit, there's criticism, but get behind the guy a little bit. Well, right. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, there's never, and look, and I understand. I understand why, you know, see, because Trump doesn't roll over. And I mean, the fact that Trump has decided to, to fire back and to fight back, that just makes the media even more defensive and things like that. And look, I, I, I get it. There's stuff that he does that are stories. There, there's no question about it. But I, I don't think he's he's caught any breaks at all. But th- this particular story about the firing of the FBI director, I, again, I just it sort of makes you your head explode because... This doesn't stop any sort of investigations. Look, I don't know, based on everything I've heard of thus far, and obviously I don't have access to all the confidential information, did did Russia attempt to influence the U.S. election? Yes, I think that that is probably the case. Is there any evidence thus far that members of the Trump campaign – colluded, conspired with Russia 
to influence the results of the election so far. And I understand there's people out there with the tinfoil hats and stuff who are saying, oh, this has got to be it. But I, I, there, there's no evidence of, of that at this point in time. There's weird kind of speculation and going down the rabbit hole and the conspiracy theories and stuff. I will be stunned if you find any hard evidence documenting that. So, I mean, to me, there's two questions. Did Vladimir Putin try to influence U.S. elections? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And but that's not to say that it was part and parcel of a conspiracy, you know, with with Trump. And and I do I I do think that this this outrage that that is out there, that that this idea that you fired James Comey, that's somehow going to be that's the Saturday Night Massacre. That's that's Looney Tunes time. It it just it just is because the invest if you were if you believed, if Donald Trump believed that these investigators were getting close to him and all, the last thing you would do is fire Comey and bring in a guy whose wife ran for office as, as a Democrat. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is the FBI investigation continues. It's not like Trump ordered Comey don't do this investigation. That's what the Saturday Night Massacre was all about. You know, you had the president directing the attorney general as to what should happen. That's not what this was all about. This, I think, was just a, a personality conflict and an impulsive president who, you know, has now created this issue. And again, the ultimate irony of this is the same Democrats who are now praising James Comey, they're, they're the same ones that wanted the guy out a couple weeks ago. Um, actually, Trump had a a pretty clever thing. He sends out this tweet, Rosie O'Donnell, you know, crazy lefty Rosie O'Donnell. You know, she she was tweeting about how, you know, Comey needs to go. This is back, you know, during the campaign. Trump sends out this tweet saying, Rosie, finally, you know, you and I agree on something, which I thought was sort of funny. Now, if I was the leader of the free world, I would ignore Rosie O'Donnell. But again, he can't help himself with regard to that. Um, if If there is evidence of a crime, it'll it'll play out. I mean, it'll it'll play out. They'll they'll find it. You know that the investigation is going to continue. And I do think I mean, I don't know that there's a need for a special prosecutor, but I do think that you want to have a full investigation to determine whether or not and to what extent you have foreign nations that are trying to monkey around in our elections and then figure out what we can do to stop that in the future moving forward. But this idea that firing James Comey is somehow this is going to this is the smoking gun. Yeah. Now, give me a break. All right. On that point, though, there are some Democrats who are saying it's time to start the impeachment clock. In just a couple minutes, we're going to discuss whether whether Donald Trump should be and will be impeached. Stick around. 941 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine forty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ coming up in about twenty minutes. A a kind of B-list TV star learns that maybe you should think it, maybe you should even say it, but putting it in a memo sometimes creates controversy. We will discuss that. Um, Mark Pocan is a uber uber. I'm talking about over the bend lefty out of out of Madison. He's the congressman out of Madison. And um, the other day, he's apparently on a conference call um, with a couple very, very left-wing 
groups. He's uh, Pocan is the first vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which is the sort of the lunatic fringe of of the Democratic Party. And and he's talking about I- impeachment. I mean, here's the the story that they have. Um, he says that the president's decision to fire FBI Director James Comey reminded him of the doomsday clock, a symbol that warns about the likelihood of nuclear war. Maybe we should have an impeachment clock. Representative Mark Pocan, again, Democrat from Wisconsin, and everybody in Madison's, I'm sure, popping their buttons over that, said um, on Wednesday, if we did, I think firing James Comey moved us about an hour closer to having that need. Pocan said he thought Democrats in the House of Representatives needed to use the threat of impeachment as a tool to make the administration follow the law. His colleague, Representative Ruben Gallego of Arizona, said Democrats would call for impeachment when there is no longer any recourse. We are certainly moving down that path. Some progressive activist groups want Democrats to take the plunge. One of them, Democracy for America, said in a note to members that Trump's actions were a repeat of Richard Nixon's most notorious actions, um, and they are calling for the president to be impeached. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I say, I understand why President Trump is controversial. I understand why people don't like the style, and I understand why some people don't like the substance of his policy. But again, I think it's as much style as it is substance. But you have people actively talking about starting the impeachment clock. You have groups that are calling on Congress to seriously look at impeachment. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Excuse me, but have we gone mad? I mean, seriously, have, have we gone Have we gone mad? If, if, for example, there is evidence that Donald Trump was engaged in colluding with the Russians and conspiring with the Russians to, um, again, over you know, change the American elections, all right, well, then you probably have an impeachable offense. But we, we're, not, we're not close to that now. And from the perspective of wanting to get things done for this country, whether it's you know trying to salvage health care, however that's going to look, or whether it's tax reform, or whether it's the myriad of other things that we need to do. All right, impeachment? Are we really at the point where we need to be talking about impeachment? And is it productive to do that? And is there any basis to do that? Or is this just, let's put on our tinfoil hats and we'll go out and we'll hope to get radio signals from Mars? Bill in Delafield. Bill, you're first. Good morning. Uh, Jeff, I definitely think that there's too much of the Republicans playing the victim card when there could be an obstruction of justice. It sure appears that way. What, what, what is your obstruction of justice? When you know that somebody's investigating you and you uh, remove them from the investigation. We had the same thing in Madison with our governor. Huh? I'm sorry, huh? I don't understand. I heard you. I didn't understand you. I'm sorry. We had the well, same let me, thing. Let me develop the point. When you take the trust of the people yeah. and you appear to do something that is not in the, in the best interest of your voters, you need to be at least investigated to the fullest extent. 
Okay, what, I'm just curious. What, what about the Mad? Let me go back to. Let me go to. The, well, no, but I don't understand. What you, let me go back to the Madison thing. What, who, who are you talking about in Madison? Well, Governor Walker was charged uh, uh, the first time there was an investigation, and and everybody surrounding him. There were five felonies and fifteen misdemeanors. The second time around, all but of Governor Walker has never been charged with anything. Did you hear what I said? You're not answering. You, you, said, you said Governor Walker was charged with five felonies no, and fifty. No, I said that. I said the people I, around Governor Walker were charged with that. His staff. Okay, you're talking about when he was county executive. All right, that you had the John Chisholm investigation. That wasn't right. when he was governor, but okay. Right. So, so what? What did what did Walker do that was obstruction of justice? Using taxpayer money yeah. to run a campaign. Okay, no, but there was obstruction of justice. He, you, you, okay, you're God, boy, we've got the tinfoil hats are out big time. Governor Walker, this look, and I understand that there's people like Bill that are out there. Governor Walker, Governor Walker was never charged with anything. My God, you had this John Doe investigation that went on forever, wasn't able to link anything to Governor Walker, and crashed and burned in a politically motivated witch hunt. Whew. Okay, so obstruction of justice. Hint to Bill. All right, let me give you some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer. What President Trump did in removing the FBI director who serves at his pleasure isn't close to obstruction of justice. The investigation, which at this point in time is not turning up any evidence showing a conspiracy between any Trump officials and the Russian government to influence the election. But I understand if you've got the tinfoil hat on you know you're you're proceeding down this thing there's going to be this it reminds me of if you ever saw the cane mutiny with humphrey bogart at the end where he's kind of like rolling the marbles going it was the strawberries it was the strawberries okay that's that's what we're seeing playing out here all right but but this is an obstruction of justice the investigation continues obviously comey and he and the president were not getting along but this isn't this isn't Donald Trump saying, "Hey, I'm firing you because you are investigating me. I'm directing that you stop the investigation." The investigation continues whether James Comey is there or not. And the ultimate irony of this is that people like Bill like Bill, I don't know if Bill fits into this category, I've been screaming for months about how James Comey has to go because of what he did to the patron saint of the left, Hillary Clinton. It is just so ironic that, oh, now James Comey, this this was the guy that was going to find the smoking gun. Well, all right, the investigation continues, and my guess is this is something that will dog Donald Trump for the entire term of his presidency because there's going to be people out there who believe, oh, this was this obstruction of justice. David in Mequon. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Uh, it, it's very, it's almost, it's unbelievable when you think about it because James Clapper, who was an Obama official for quite a few years, a head of intelligence and all that stuff, has repeatedly stated on many different stations that when he was there, he there was nothing that he saw that there was any collusion between Russia and the Trump uh, uh, transition team. And what, what's happening is is that there's a lot of things being thrown out there, and they're just they're just trying to do everything. I mean, granted, I understand that Trump is a uh, president is very polarized, you know, right. with what he stated. But at this point, I hate to say it, I mean, either James Clapper is completely lying consistently or 
you know, uh, I mean, it's it's right. uh, no right else. exactly. And look, and I, I mean, but but here's the thing. Okay, go ahead and investigate. I don't have an issue with that. And right. and if it turns out that there was collusion between you know President Trump and Vladimir Putin, well, okay, then uh, then you you've got arguably an impeachable offense. And, but we're we're not close to that. You know, seriously. And, and I wanted to say one thing. To compare this to Richard Nixon is absolutely ridiculous. Richard Nixon fired the attorney general, fired the, the deputy assistant uh, attorney general, and then eventually got around to you know, the, the prosecutor and everything else. This was complete polar opposite of what, you know, what happened in the Trump administration, where you, know, you have both the attorney general and the deputy um, uh, attorney general that wrote statements of thought, okay, Comey was not fulfilling his due obligations. And right. in all honesty, uh, like I said, and I hate to say this, but Comey, you know, has, they could have also made a case when they had the FBI situation in Florida, when the gun owner or the gun right. store owner, right. uh, that was never, you know, followed up. And then the guy got all the, the weapons. And yeah, it's they, they, and David, I, I want to keep us kind of focused on this. Cause I, but uh, look, here, here's what happened. I mean, Trump is a volatile guy. You know, the apprentice, you're fired. He got mad at Comey. All right. You know, he thought Comey was a grandstander. He thought when, when he came out, when Trump put out his tweets about, hey, I was wiretapped, um, he was upset that Comey didn't back him up 100 percent. Comey was saying things about the president behind his back and Trump got P.O.'d. That, that's that's what this is. If this, for God's sake, if this was an effort to quell some investigation, it would have been about the stupidest thing that you could possibly do. But by the way, the investigation continues. That that's it. And and this and you can just see how nuts that people are getting over this. And it's the it's the Trump derangement syndrome. And now it's bleeding into the Walker derangement syndrome. And this is obstruction of justice. No, the investigation it continues and it continues. And if there's stuff here, it, it'll it'll be fine. And They'll find it out, and, and then you can talk about impeachment. But it seems to me it is completely and totally counterproductive at this point in time, unless you're putting on that tinfoil hat and you've equipped it with chin straps, to be talking about impeachment. Dick and McGuanago. Dick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, you are so right on. I just don't understand. We elected Trump for this reason. He's not a politician. He doesn't want to put up with all the BS that's going on with the other politics. Yeah. That's why we elected him. And he hasn't proven, he hasn't been proven wrong. So how can they jump to all these conclusions? Well, well it is. And again, I mean, th- we're, we're starting the impeachment clock. Okay, really? I mean, okay, look, if, if you find the smoking gun somewhere, but always oh, trying to obstruct justice because the only one who's going to conduct this investigation was James Comey. Actually, my guess is, my guess is by firing Comey, what you've done is you've just added heat to this whole thing. I continue to believe, maybe I'll be proved wrong, that it's going nowhere. My big beef is this is a distraction. It is a distraction to the things that need to get done, like fixing health care and tax reform and all these other things. And that's why I think Trump would have been better suited just to let Comey go on for six months and then after six months if he still felt the same way get rid of him because now i mean this is going to be the story and you're going to play into uh, again the we've got to impeach folks all the while it makes it more difficult to get health care reform done and that is the unfortunate thing it's 957 when we come back you can think it you can say it 
But should you put it in writing? Stick around. It's 1110. Jeff Wagner. Jane, hang, hang, hang in there. Actually, John McCure. John, you're in the studio, too. Sit down. Okay? I want, I want to tag team you guys. All right. Hi, Steve. Jane. Good morning, John. Steve Harvey. Okay, who you know runs this talk show that I have never I have never watched the Steve Harvey show. Uh, it's been in Chicago for the last five years. He's moving it to L.A. because Chicago doesn't get him big enough stars to interview. So, um, and he's not taking hardly any of the employees. Like eighty people who work for the show and have for five years, and he's leaving them all behind in Chicago. Um, and of course, the story is that most of those employees aren't too too sad because at the start of the fifth season which just wrapped up yesterday i think mm-hmm. um he sends out this memo and somebody somebody leaks the memo i want to share it in its entirety okay then ask you guys to react before we talk to everybody else so this is the memo this is the email that greets everybody coming back on like the first day of the new season Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. This is from Steve Harvey. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. I'd like you all to review and adhere to the following notes and rules for Season 5 of my talk show. There will be no meetings in my dressing room, no stopping by or popping in, no one, capital letters. Do not come to my dressing room unless invited. Do not open my dressing room door, capital letters. If you open my door, expect to be removed. My security team will stop everyone from standing at my door who have the intent to see me or speak with me. I want all the ambushing to stop now. That includes TV staff. You must schedule an appointment. I have been taken advantage of by my lenient policy in the past. This ends now. No more. Do not approach me while I'm in the makeup chair unless I ask to speak with you directly. (laughs) Mm. Either knock or use the doorbell. I am seeking more free time for me throughout the day. Do not wait in any hallway to speak with me. I hate being ambushed. Please make an appointment. I promise you I will not entertain you in the hallway and do not attempt to walk with me. If you're reading this, yes, I mean you. (laughs) Everyone, do not take offense (laughs) to the new way of doing business. It is for the good of my personal life and enjoyment. Thank you all, Steve Harvey. Oh, my. (laughs) And avert your eyes. Do not look at me. Did he get a copy of my employment agreement when I started? (laughs) (laughs) They're glad he's moving to L.A. Um, I bet they are. Okay, well, okay, so this, somebody leaks this to the guy who writes for the Tribune or whatever, or uh, WGN, and then, so now he's out and he's defending this. You know, he, he, he's out, he says, I don't apologize at all. He says, mm. I, you know, I, I'm taken advantage of. He says, look, man, I'm in my makeup chair. They walk into the room. I'm having lunch. They walk in. They don't knock. I'm in the hallway. I'm wow. getting ambushed by people with friends that come to the show or having me sign this and do that. John McCure, I left the studio <laughs> yesterday. You were taking some people on a tour. I, John, you introduced yeah. those people to me. How dare you? <laughs> What's the matter with you? You ambushed him. Yes. <laughs> That's such a strong word, ambush. Wow, I bet morale is great around there. Well, now that he's gone, it's probably much better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you guys imagine? I mean, unbelievable. You, I can't oh, believe that's real. That's unbelievable. Because I, I mean, I, I guess you know, we all work in this industry where, first of all, we do not have jobs. Number one, unless there's there's people that listen to us mm-hmm. and like the shows and you know tell you that they like the, the shows. I mean, that's I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think there's anything more flattering than if I'm out in public or something and somebody comes up and says, "Hey, I, I listen to the mm-hmm. show. You know, I, I like what you do." I mean. I mean, that's 
Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, That's why we do it, right? Well, it's because we sit in this little room and we speak into the void, so it's not like we get a lot of automatic feedback, so it's lovely to run into someone who will actually say something. Right, and tell you that they, no, I mean, obviously, I guess there, there, there could be, you know, moments, but, but in general, I mean, I find people are very respectful. I, I mean, it's just flattering. You go out to a place and they say, hey, I listen to the show, yeah. I, I, I enjoy that. But, but this just doesn't, so he doesn't like the fact that you've got, you know, people who are bringing, you know, folks in for this. But the bigger thing is, is your coworkers? I guess that's what's that's what strikes me about this. Can Hondo talk to you without making an appointment? <laughs> right. Yes, sir. Or 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 do I, we need to work through Hondo, Hondo to get on your no. calendar? Hondo <laughs> says no. He <laughs> has to make an appointment. Well, that's right. Or, or people. I mean, you just coming up. You interact with people in the hallway all, all the time. The, all the time. Well, yeah. It's it's one thing if people are hitting him up for money all the time, you know that would make a difference. They just want to say hi. I, that's that's terrible, wow. right? Or that's terrible. or just kind of like talk about. I mean, I get the idea. Also, it's kind of like talking about, you know, just 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 other stuff. Maybe like events of the day or whatever. I John, I wow. I used to interrupt your lunch all the time. I think you know you'll be sitting there. We're pod pals. You're sitting next to me. You'll you'll be eating, and I'll just. But I'll, I liked it. it. That's part. Of, that's why I come to work, right? If I wanted to be by myself, I'd have the studio set up in my house and never have to interact. That's maybe what's next for him. Um, He'll never have to interact with anyone. Okay, so you do brutal. not. The, That's brutal. The, the two of you who who have been doing this for an, a long time and TV and radio and stuff, um, you think this is an over the top memo as well? Absolutely, absolutely. Awful. I think it's terrible. Morale must be fantastic around that. But I place. bet he doesn't do that with big stars. That's right. I bet he's all real accessible to the big people. Miley oh, Cyrus can the, come into his room just, without knocking. Yeah, it's just the little people. Mm-hmm. It's just the, like those little people, those eighty people that work for him that are responsible on a daily basis for allowing this guy to make all this money and do this talk show. Huh. Yeah. Thank you for letting me talk to you, Jeff, without making a point. <laughs> Just don't look him in the eyes, John. Don't look him in the eyes. All right. All right. I, I want to do this for one segment. Thank you both. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Now, Steve Harvey, and, and again, who cares about Steve Harvey one way or the other? But I, I think this is this, this larger sort of point. Does he have a point. He says, hey, I'm the star here. I, I'm just, I'm trying to get some personal space here. I don't like being bothered at work. You know, even though you work with me or for me or whatever, I, I don't want you talking to me. I want you making appointments. I don't want you coming in when I'm in the makeup chair. Um, and, and he's not backing off on that. He said, no, I'm I'm just, uh, I, I, I support this. I stand by this. I just don't want to be bothered in this fashion. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think I think complete buttheads are rare, but but Steve Harvey seems to be a complete butthead. Um, is there any justification for you know this type of, of thing? And maybe 414-799-1620, that's Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, this is just so this is just so alien. I guess, and and maybe, I mean, obviously, he's a much bigger celebrity than, I don't know about John McCure or uh, Jane Matinair, but obviously a much bigger celebrity than me. But what a, you know, what a, what a jerk, Um, you know, what a jerk in in saying these things. And I mean, would you want to work around somebody like that? Okay, we discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. Uh, 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 19. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, I can guarantee you that that, that that Steve Harvey memo is not something that I would ever author. And I don't know, with one exception, 
working in this industry. With one exception, I don't think it's anything that any anybody else that I have ever worked with anywhere would author. But, but all right, does he have a point? Let's start with Lynn in Adele. Lynn, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I think you have to look at both sides of everything. I mean, we don't know how many co-workers have brought their friends in to have T-shirts signed and Lord knows whatever else signed, you know, when he's trying to get ready for his, um, you know, job or whatever. And he never said, I won't sign those things or I won't do these things. He's saying, and I thought in a nicer way, make an appointment, you know, I'll I'll." do these things but just tell me well, but of course he's not just talking about, he's not well no but he's not just talking about like signing autographs no meetings in my dressing room no stopping by no popping in don't come to my dressing room unless invited don't open my door if you do you will be removed don't stand at my door don't come up to me in the hallway. Don't come up to me when I'm in the makeup chair. Now, because I understand, you're right. If it's like, hey, I, I don't want you bringing all your friends over, and you know, I don't want to sign 300 autographs a day. But that's that's not what he's saying. He's saying just don't get anybody anywhere near me when I'm in the office unless you've made an appointment. I just, I, I don't have a problem with that. I just, I really don't. I think that. It depends on, you know, what all has occurred to him before. I just think sometimes you're getting set up, you're, you're uh, going on, and you're in a frame mind. You're kind of thinking, you know, and in the hallway. You know what people sometimes do, if you want to say, uh, you know, attack people to could get something here. You know, I want this pass, so if I hit him on the way in, he's got to say yes or something. I mean, I don't know what his coworkers are like. Well, I well, well apparently judge. well I think no see I'm I'm going to judge, <laughs> but see it's not just it, it this isn't just directed at hey I don't want to give out freebies now I see I I understand if you've got these if you've got your employees that are regularly bringing guests in that are stalking him then you would say hey you know we you know I you know we don't want we don't want guests coming in here I, I get that but this is like. Don't buy, this is this isn't just directed at hey don't bring in third parties this is I you little people I don't want you to just just don't interact with me don't don't talk to me in the hallways don't come up and do those things and, and again maybe maybe this doesn't bother you um, I, I just I can't imagine sending out a memo like this and if I was working in a place like that and I got that type of memo I mean look I I've had the pleasure to work with some. You know, on on the, on our TV side, for example, I mean, I, I, you know, to work with some people who are very, very busy, the Mike Jacobs, the Carol Meekins of the world, the Gordon Hinckley's of the world here, you know, Charlie, all these different people. I mean, you know, you know, who are you know celebrities in their own right? Maybe not a celebrity on the stage of Steve Harvey, but I, nobody would send a memo like that around. I mean, to me, to me, it's just, it's just arrogant in the extreme. Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're in 620. Hi, Bob. Hey, uh, good morning. Good Hi, morning, Jeff. Good morning. Listen, um, I, I kind of like the lady that was just on. You know, you. I understand your point of view. I understand you're in the public side. But, you know, one of the things that he said when he was talking about it was, look, I'm 60 years old. I need a little bit of free time. We know he's busy. Well, that's his choice, of course. But uh, I think people have a propensity to go over the top, especially when a person's a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. The more, I'm not saying he shouldn't be a nice guy. He should be Wait, a but, 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 Bob, this isn't just, 
again, if this was, hey, I, if he was saying, hey, I don't want you to bring your friends onto the set because it's a distraction, I would get it. But this is directed at, at, at the people that work there. I mean, this, this, it, it, yes, he's, he's telling the people who work there, don't bring people on. But he's also saying, I don't want you talking to me. That's what I think is, well, can you imagine he, telling your coworkers, don't talk to me? <laughs> yeah, but he's just saying, let's organize it. He isn't saying, don't talk to me at all. He's saying, make an appointment. And I, I, I'm sorry. You know, usually I agree with a lot of stuff, but right, I think you... he. I, I'm on. I'm on his side okay, on this that one. Makes, well, you, you, yeah, you can disagree. I mean, it's uh, like I always say: if we always agreed, it would be. It would be a bit. I'm. I'm just trying to imagine working in any sort of workplace where you get this memo from your boss or. You know, from a you know the, the so-called celebrity, the person whose name is the show. Don't talk to me. Don't st- don't no meetings in my dressing room. Don't stop by. Don't pop in. Don't stand outside my dressing room. Don't try to talk to me in the hallway. You must schedule an appointment. So, okay, when I just I, to me, to me this this just it, it it's somebody who it's completely and totally gone to their heads i'm just saying um let's see um some more texts maybe everyone should stop watching steve harvey then he won't have the problem with people around him it's choice his choice to be in the world he's in yeah see that's that's kind of it i mean here's where you know you've got a problem whether it's you know whether you're on TV or you're on the radio or whatever, you have an issue when nobody wants to come up and talk to you. <laughs> that, that's where you've got the issues. You know, if if nobody, you know, people will always say, you know, gee, I really enjoy the show. I hate to bother you. Don't. Oh, that's great. I'm glad. I mean, I'm thrilled that you're listening to the show. That's why I end up having a job. Um, Sam writes, Hey Jeff, someone needs to tell him get over your arrogant attitude and lay, learn to take the really good with the minor bad. Yeah, the really good is. You get paid a boatload of money to do, what, an hour-long TV show and be a star. That's the really good. The I guess the little teeny tiny bad is some of the little people that help make you a star might want to talk to you in the hallway. Or, heaven forbid, they might have friends or family members who um, want to meet you. Oh, the horror! Oh, the horror. Yeah, Steve Harvey moving the show to Los Angeles. Um, my guess is there's going to be a lot of people in at least, well, they're sorry that they're losing their jobs, but otherwise they're probably not sorry that he's taking off. 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's. 1029, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The idea of town halls being hosted by elected officials is not something new. Doing them in districts other than your own, however, is something totally different. Do you think this is politically unethical? Join the debate with Scafidi and Billstat today at 135. Yeah, that's what um, Mark Pocan, who is, and we were talking about him earlier, he's the one that's, let's consider starting the impeachment clock, the, uh, the impeachment clock, the kind of really really, really, really over-the-top, extremely left-wing congressman from the People's Republic of Madison. Uh, that's what he did. I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up Paul Ryan. I'm going to go into his uh, district. Um, wonderful. Just just absolutely wonderful. Hey, coming up in just a couple minutes, you know, we started this program off by my call for the need to get tougher on people who steal cars um, 
and, and I mean, this, this you could do this story on a daily basis. You know, all the different car thefts, and then of course, you know, two days ago you have the situation where you have these four presumably juveniles. My guess is with lengthy criminal records, but we'll wait and see. Driving a stolen Audi, who hit and kill a forty-some-year-old man. Well, it's playing out on a different level in the federal courts. The former Attorney General of the United States under Barack Obama, with the blessing of Barack Obama, essentially said to federal prosecutors, I want you to stop following the law. We are locking up too many criminals. Well, the Attorney General currently, Jeff Sessions, he says enough of that. I'll tell you about it, and we'll discuss in just a couple minutes. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hour from now, it is our Week in Review. Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, and I tackle some of the week's biggest issues. The All-American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin Tour rolls into Newburgh this afternoon. New, this afternoon, Join John McCure and the Wisconsin's Afternoon News team as they broadcast live from No-No's, a supper club, beginning at 3 o'clock here on WTMJ. I'm, I might go out there. I, I know the place extremely well. Um, Newburgh's a wonderful town, and it's just, it's, it's, I, I go play, I play golf in Sockville almost every Sunday, and it's just right down the road from that off of Highway 33. So if you happen to be out in Ozaki County or Washington County, stop by. Might even be out there as well. Think we could get Hundo, who's producing the show today. If I go out there, you think you can get McCure to buy a beer? Yeah, you. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah that yes that that would be in the the Jeff Wagner Steve Harvey memo. Yes, if I come to one of your remotes, you must buy a beer. No, John buys more than his share of beers. I'll give him credit for that. All right. When I was in the U.S. Attorney's office back back in the day, um, I was there during the explosion of 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 drugs. It, it used to be back in the '60s and '70s, the people. The, the drug thing was aging hippies who were into marijuana. And, and you know, they, they'd bring bales of marijuana into the – but it was marijuana. It all changed in the early 80s when you had the explosion of cocaine. And you had the cartels from South America that would start importing large quantities of cocaine. And we in America, unfortunately, developed this huge fixation with – with controlled substances and first it was powder cocaine and then what happened is it was crack cocaine and that's where for example in the city of milwaukee if you want to go back to when when we first started seeing a hundred homicides in the city it was the explosion of crack cocaine in the the late 1980s it's where um crack cocaine of course being incredibly more addictive than regular cocaine and regular cocaine is incredibly addictive as well and then it was it was drug gangs it was street gangs who decided they were going to peddle crack cocaine um addict a large chunk of the community particularly around here the inner city community and and then go to war with each other over you know turf here this is our this we're going to be slinging crack on you know on, on this street corner and, and if you don't like it get out of the way we're going to shoot we're going to you know and that, that's where you had all the violence and while you never like to see the violence, it's one thing if you've got rival drug gangs that are shooting and killing each other. 
all right, that's unfortunate, but it's the life you've chosen. If you want to be a violent drug dealer, all right, and you end up getting killed in the course of your business, well, that's a decision you've made. But it wasn't just the violent drug dealers who were getting killed. It was all sorts of innocent people as well, you know, bystanders, or they do drive-by shootings, and, you know, they got the wrong house and things like that. So that's where it was where you really saw the explosion of violence that went along with it. Now, the reason I bring that up is because going back to the 1980s, Congress decided enough is enough when it comes to people who are dealing in large quantities of drugs or people who are carrying guns while they commit crimes. And what happened is Congress changed the law so you would have mandatory minimum sentences for certain crimes. Um, you, you carry a gun. Uh, you bring a gun to a drug deal, for example. I mean, there's a reason why you're bringing that gun to a drug deal. Okay, bringing the gun was a five-year penalty on top of whatever you might get for, you know, selling the dope. That was that was bringing that was what this was all about um so you had mandatory penalties the way you would evoke the mandatory penalties though is if a prosecutor you'd have to charge it you'd say okay hondo brought a gun to a drug deal or there were mandatory penalties for dealing with large for for quantities of drugs it was based on you know how big a trafficker you are but what you had to do to kick those in is you had to allege all right, you know, on, on such and such a date, this was a conspiracy that involved X amount of drugs. Because by alleging the amount, that's how you got the mandatory penalty. That's the way it was forever and ever. Eric Holder and Barack Obama decided we were we were incarcerating too many people. So what they directed U.S. attorneys to do is stop charging the crimes that had really been committed. You've got somebody who's dealing in 100 kilograms of cocaine. Don't charge it. Don't put that 100 kilograms in there. You don't trigger the mandatory minimum penalty. you got somebody that brings a gun to a dope deal. Don't allege that he brought a gun to a dope deal because if you do and he gets convicted, then the guy has to go to jail. And the effect of that has been that fewer people you know, got convicted for bringing guns to drug dealers. Now, you can argue whether that is a good thing or not. Also, Barack Obama started letting all sorts of drug dealers out. Well, all right, Jeff Sessions, the new attorney general, has said, no, this stops. The law is the law. If you are a prosecutor and somebody, for example, you know, does a deal involving 100 pounds of heroin, I want you to charge them. Allege that he brought 100 pounds of heroin in and charge it. And then, you know, yes, that leads to mandatory minimum penalties, but, but who cares? That's what Congress says. If somebody brings a gun to a drug deal, charge it. Yes, that means more people are going to go to prison, but so what? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, this is such, in my opinion, a breath of fresh air to have an attorney general who is now deciding we are going to direct prosecutors to enforce the law. And, yeah, it means that people who are dealing in large quantities of drugs are going to go to prison, and they're going to go to prison for larger periods of time. But you know what? I got no sympathy for that person that's peddling a large quantity of cocaine or, in particular, heroin. Let's start with Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Morning. Morning. You know, one of the biggest problems is this country waits to the last minute to do things. Now, with the opiates, the opiates aren't the problem. The opiates are too expensive. What they do is they get them from the doctors, then they sell them and buy the heroin. What they need to do is go after the heroin people, then make it where a family physician cannot prescribe opiates. Well, I mean, That's I, where I, the trouble came from. I know tons of friends that got into trouble that way. Well, right, but, and, but right, see, okay, I and mean, I don't want to get too far afield with this. Yeah, yes, I mean, we have an opioid epidemic in this country nowadays. There, there's no question, and you're right, the way a lot of young people get hooked is they raid mom and dad's medicine cabinets, they get the oxycodone or whatever, um, they get hooked on that, then they can't get it, so they turn to heroin. Okay, here, here's the way the law works. Typically... Typically, if you catch somebody who's in possession of a kilogram of heroin, that's 2.2 kilo. That's 2.2 pounds. That's a boatload of heroin. That's thousands of doses. Yes, it's a 10-year mandatory minimum penalty. I have no problem with that. If you catch somebody with 2.2 pounds of heroin, you bet. They deserve to be in prison, and they deserve to be in prison for a long time. Five kilograms of cocaine, that's 11 pounds. That's a big-time amount of drugs. If you want to deal drugs, I think you deserve to recognize that there is going to be a price of poker, and that means that you're going to go to prison. And here's the bottom line. If that then means that, hey, you know, we're locking up too many of this type of person or that type of person, too bad. I don't care. I don't buy this argument that, well, you know, we, we can't just incarcerate ourselves out of the war on drugs. Well, all right, I, I understand that there's all sorts of issues that go on, but I do know this. You know, if you eliminate the people that are out there, and believe me, if you've got 10 or 11 pounds of cocaine, that's not personal use cocaine. If you've got, a, you know, if you've got two and a half pounds of heroin, you, that's, that's thousands of doses. You are a heroin dealer. And I'm sorry, if you are dealing heroin in this community or any community, I don't care if Eric Holder doesn't like the fact that you, you know, you're going to go to prison. I don't care if the fact that Barack Obama doesn't like you to go to prison. I'm telling you, you are a big-time drug dealer. You are poisoning this community. And, yeah, I'm glad to see that you've got an attorney general who's now about enforcing the law. 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. And I understand there's the people, again, the conspiracy theories. This, this war on drugs, it locks up. It locks up too many black men or whatever. No, well, no, that first of all, that that makes the what I think is unfounded assumption that you have that, you know, because you're of a particular race, you're more inclined to deal drugs. I don't I don't buy that. But I I think it's just it is important to say we're not going to tolerate criminal behavior. And I, I guess I don't find it unreasonable to say if you get caught with, you know, a two and a half pounds of heroin, thousands of doses, you go to prison for 10 years. And I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you're white or black or brown or green or blue. You know, we're going to say enough is enough. Eric Holder and Barack Obama, I think, for their own political purposes, got away from that. Um, I'm glad to see Jeff Sessions is restoring some sanity. And the message needs to go out. There's going to be accountability. You want to traffic in this type of poison, you do so or you do so knowing that there are going to be consequences. And the idea of telling prosecutors that you have to charge the most readily provable offense, you can't pretend if you catch somebody with five, with 20 pounds of heroin, 
You can't pretend that they didn't have 20 pounds of heroin. You have to pretend that they only had a couple ounces of heroin is ridiculous. And if, again, it means we need to build more prison space to get heroin dealers off the street, go with God. I'm I'm with that. Um, WTMJ's Classic Free Ride is now officially out of our garage and ready to head into yours. You can now register to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible by heading to WTMJ.com. This is sponsored by Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget to text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620 to check out the photo gallery of your next car. Oh, Oh, some of the people on UW's campus are unhappy. The um, There has been, I think, especially over the last couple of years, there has been this effort by the tolerant, compassionate left to try to shout down speakers if they say things on college campuses that the tolerant, compassionate left do not agree with. Oh, my goodness, we can't have... Ann Coulter come and, and speak to our, our campus or, you know, wh- whatever, because, oh, this is threatening. We, we can't have these ideas. So what we have to do is if we're going to have one of these conservative speakers come, we're going to have to show up. And because they are intolerant and we don't like their expressions, we are justified in trying to shout them down. And unfortunately, that happens with alarming regularity. So there is a bill that is moving through the legislature, which is designed to... It is designed to prevent the ongoing number of disruptions which go on, unfortunately, on a regular basis on on UW campuses. Now, this bill is not targeted at one sort of political thought, although the reality is conservatives don't go and hector and shout down liberal speakers. They they just don't. This is kind of a one-sided thing. But, But here's the bill. It's being introduced and it's being debated now. And, and I want you to listen to what it would do and think for a minute about whether or not this is something that we need to be worried about. The bill would prohibit students from disrupting speakers with conduct that is violent, abusive, indecent, profane, boisterous, obscene, or unreasonably loud, or otherwise disorderly. So it, it's, it's not just saying things that are abusive, indecent, profane, boisterous, obscene, or unreasonably loud, but it, you have to do that, and you have to do it to disrupt a speaker. So if you presumably want to stand on a street corner at, at, in Madison and you want to be unreasonably loud, there's no problem. But if you do that with the intent of trying to disrupt a speaker, then then it becomes a violation. And what would happen is that um, if you ended up doing that, trying to interrupt others, what would happen is that there would be certain penalties. Any student twice found responsible for interfering with the First Amendment rights of others in this fashion would receive a semester-long suspension at a minimum. A suspension long, uh, semester long suspension at a minimum. So, in other words, if you've got you know some of these people who decide that their reason for being is I want to go out and I want to shout down the speaker. And again, this would apply if you've got conservative speakers that are out there trying to shout down liberal speakers or vice versa. Um, this would, you know, this would do that. 
um, the left, particularly some of the liberal groups, are out there saying, oh, this is terrible. It's an effort to restrict our First Amendment rights. Well, no, the First Amendment, it's, it is not absolute. You don't have the right to yell fire in a crowded theater. You don't have a right to engage. It's one thing to say something, but you don't have an absolute right to engage in conduct that is disorderly or is disruptive. And screaming things out in an effort to shout down or disrupt other speakers, I think, is perfectly within the purview of the – can be limited. You do not have the absolute right to walk into an event in an, as part of an organization or otherwise and try to disrupt that event by your conduct, including by trying to shout down people. It is unfortunate that you need something like this on college campuses today, but the truth of the matter is you do. You do. And I hope the legislature passes this, and then I'm sure if they do, there'll be some litigation the first time somebody comes out and tries to shout down those speakers. But, you know, this is this is just where we are in 2017, this idea that you have some people who feel entitled that because they are offended by ideas or because the idea that somebody else has, they disagree with it, so that means it's hate speech. So they are entitled to do whatever they want to try to stifle that hate speech. Well, uh yeah, you're entitled to do that, I guess. But if you do, there's going to be consequences. 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, pass the bill. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What is Brewers manager Craig Council going to do, if anything, about the current slumps by his second baseman and his closer? Is it time for him to act, or is more patience the best solution right now? Greg Matzik dives in this evening on Sports Central at 6.07. You know, regardless, it's, um, it's interesting to be talking about this, because the truth is, the last two years, by this time in the season, the, the Brewers had completely played themselves out of contention, and it was like, well... You know, no, nobody really cares. Now people care. I mean, they're, they're, they are competitive. And, again, at least it, it's something fun to discuss that, you know, you, you care about is the closer blowing games or, you know, is the second baseman, you know, not hitting and doing stupid things on the base pass because it makes a difference in games. Um, and that's great. The important thing is that you care about this. All right. Coming up in less than 10 minutes. I've discussed this before, but the trend is becoming more pronounced. More and more people do not carry cash. As a matter of fact, there is a new study out that says that your children, your children, especially if they are under a certain age, might never, ever use cash in their lifetime. We will discuss. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108. Mike, before you go anywhere. So you thought you were going to be able to get out. Yes, sir. All right. Um, how old are you? I am 29. You are 29. All right. How much money do you have in your wallet right now? Uh, cash, cash? Cash money? Yes. Do you have any, how much cash do you have? I don't know. $2 maybe? Like leftover that I just like, spare? $2. Okay. Yeah. Is, would that be – is that typical? I mean, is that – and actually, I mean, today, I think today we all get paid. The, the, the good folks at Scripps, like, give us money. Is, is, that, is that typical? I mean, is that – do you only have like a couple bucks in your wallet? It's actually two dollars more than I normally have in my wallet. I don't carry cash. You do not carry cash. Usually at all. never. Not unless I'm going somewhere where I 
don't know if you can pay with a card, like for parking or something like that. Right, but so otherwise, you will not carry cash at all. Nope, I never do. Okay, 29 years old. 29. Okay. Hondo, um, you're slightly older than Mike. Um, do you have any cash in your wallet right now? You do. All right. He's reaching. He's re- he's reaching in. This is kind of the, this is sort of the question here. Okay, you have some money there, but this is a rare occasion. Is there something special that you had that, that money for? What? Okay. Typically, would you have cash in your wallet? Okay. All right. Now, the reason I I, I ask that is because, and I, I've commented on this before. I don't think, I don't think Mike is is a atypical um I, I think there is a generational thing that is going on now having having said that um i was with somebody not that long ago and they said they hadn't gone to the bank and they didn't have cash so i i said here you want twenty dollars just so you have some money no 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 i don't why do i need them that and i said well okay you know maybe you're going to be you know going and get coffee or something like that no 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 they'll they'll, they'll take a card they said, "Well, you know, here, take twenty dollars." No, 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 I don't don't want the, the twenty dollars. Now I bring th- this up because I don't believe that Mike a- again is is a typical. Um, there is a new survey out. Fox Business had this story yesterday. Uh, here's the headline: "The End of Physical Currency Coming in 2017." Um, now, now it, it doesn't say that cash is going to go away this year. Of course, that's not going to happen, but. But interestingly, they, they did this survey, and what they find is that they, they think that children, for example, if, if there's a kid under the age of 10, that they simply will not, by, by the time, as they, get, as they grow older, they will not use most types of physical currency in their customary form. 71% believe the age group won't know how to write a check um, 42% said that they won't use physical credit cards, um, instead, you know, the different apps and stuff. And almost all say they just won't use cash, that we are on the verge of moving to a completely cashless society. All right, our numbers are 414, our number is 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated by trends, that you see going on and, and the way that the culture shifts. I mean, there was a time where no one would go out of the house without having, you know, some some cash on them. Um, there, there was a time where people would use cash or checks to pay for, for purchases. Now, I think particularly with folks Mike's age or younger, um, that, that the idea of carrying any sort of large amount of cash or maybe any cash at all, it's like, you know, why, why would we do this? You know, why would you carry cash? You can have credit cards. Every place takes, this would be the argument, every place takes credit cards. You get credit on your account. You get points for spending money with this. You know, why do you need cash? 414-799-1620. Are we moving to a cashless society? Ten years from now, Will people still be using cash, or will the only people who will be using cash will be the, the dinosaurs like me? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And I, I will tell you, I mean, I still, I, I mean, I, it's, I, I have credit cards. I use credit cards for things. When I buy gasoline, for example, I, I use the credit card, you know, because it's just easier. You don't have to go in, you don't have to pay at the pump. You just put the thing in, and, and it's done. 
But, I mean, typically, if if I'm walking in someplace to buy a, a cup of coffee and a newspaper or a donut or I'm going through the fast food thing, I mean, I'm I'm going to pay cash with that and then not have to worry about the charge. 414-799-1620. Are we moving to a cashless society? And interesting, I found this. This says that, that kids 10 and under, they're not going to know what it's like to pay for cash with anything. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. It's 1114. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I admit that I'm fascinated by, by trends and, and how things happen. The the idea that, okay, there was once upon a time on Friday nights, everybody ran to the blockbuster video to get the latest movie releases. Well, now, I mean, good luck trying to find a, a video store out there that, that's just kind of been replaced. Newspapers. Everybody used to wait to get the newspaper delivered. Now, I mean, if you're under a certain age, you, you probably never had a hard copy of a newspaper in your hands to begin with. Landline telephones, same sort of thing. AT&T trying to even get out of the landline telephone business in Illinois. And perhaps even larger, there's these new studies out that I was just mentioning saying that as far as cash, paying for things with cash, a lot of people think that kids right now, if you're 10 years or younger, you'll, you'll never, you'll never, ever use cash. Now, I don't know that we're ever going to be at that point, but more and more people just are just don't carry cash. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Joe in Appleton. Joe, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? You know, I hope that this trend doesn't come to fruition because I think that that's just going to help lead to more debt issues with people. You know, the old adage with cash is if you don't have it, you don't spend it. Right. How do you keep track of your money if you don't know what money you're spending? Uh, yeah, now, of course, the, the flip side of that, people would argue that, hey, it's easier if you've got a credit card, you know, where you're paying for everything with a credit card or a debit card or whatever. You know, at the end of the month, you get that statement so you can see exactly where all your money went, whereas if you're going to an ATM machine and taking out 100 bucks and then it's gone, you don't know where that money's gone. You know, as someone that's had my credit or debit card breached four times over the right. last 10 years, there's another issue why I should still right. cash too. Yeah. No, thanks. For, no, I, exactly. Now, again, I just, I, I, boy, I guess I'm all, especially for small purchases. I certainly understand why. You know, if you're you're buying, I don't know, a set of golf clubs and you're going to pay you know five hundred dollars or whatever. I mean, I understand why you'd use the credit card as opposed to like hauling around all the cash. But um, from a merchant's perspective, I got to believe merchants who who have to pay a fee. Whenever somebody uses that credit card, you, know, you come in for you know for a five dollar sandwich and a cup of coffee. They must hate that too. But um, you know four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Harry in Madison. Harry, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to go cashless. I, you know, I just don't see it. I mean, I was in Switzerland a couple of times, and there they kept bugging me to use my charge card. Right. The problem is you get like four or five hits before it even gets to the United States or to take out a dime here <laughs> there. Right. And then to top it all off, when I talked to him, the woman said that in, in uh, Sweden, actually it was, she actually said that uh, she's only written five checks in her whole life, and she's 50 years old, and she had to go to the bank to get the checks. <laughs> you know, everything's done. I mean, I, I feel weird buying a two, $2 candy bar on a charge. So I always, I mean, I'm an old school, so I always carry cash. What happens if your charge cards don't work? Well, I get see. I, I've always, I've always been that way too. I mean, I, I just, I just, I mean, 
you know, I, I I feel naked if I don't go out of the house with at least a, at least a little bit uh, of cash. Um, right. Again, for the, for the small per- purchases. I mean, I understand there's all sorts of reasons why you don't want to be walking around with a thousand bucks in cash sitting in your wallet or your purse or something like that. But the idea, but there, you know, the the truth of the matter is, Harry. You know, you and I maybe we're becoming dinosaurs because I think there's a lot of people like our, our news guy Mike Spaulding, who's he's got two dollars in his wallet, and that's a mistake because normally he just he just figures he doesn't need it. Well, yeah, see, and I bug my wife all the time. I say, you got to carry some cash. What happens if you get somewhere and it doesn't work and you just purchase gas? It, well, right, that, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, again, but, I mean, again, what people will say is that almost every place around here takes, takes you know, uh, the, the credit cards. My barber. My barber, by the way, doesn't take credit cards. So if you want to go to Herb and get your hair cut with Herb, you better pay cash. I appreciate that. Bill in Mequon. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Hi, Bill. Um, I, I've, been, I've had my credit card and so my wife had her credit card numbers stolen while right. we've been traveling and had to go through the process of changing the, changing the cards and checking on the rebates and so right. forth. The scheme have to come about. So I tend to carry several hundred dollars in cash with me all the time. And pay, especially if I'm out of my normal territory, pay for things that are twenty, twenty-five dollars and under, using cash. Right. Are you uh, worried that you become by carrying cash, you might be a target of somebody who's going to like rob you to get the money? No, they don't. No one knows whether I carry cash or not. Right. Right. If right. I pull a twenty-dollar bill out of my pocket, they don't know that I got. And more of them in there, right? And but and I think I mean a lot of people probably are just as concerned. I mean they want to get the credit cards and see what they can get with them before you cancel them. Um, interesting. Let's see. I'm 35. Here's on a text line. I'm 35 and try to carry as little cash as possible. Most places take plastic. With society nowadays, there's unscrupulous people out there, and not carrying cash seems safer than carrying it. Hmm. Um. Yeah. And let's talk to Andy in Waukesha. Andy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning, sir. Thanks, Jeff. Good to talk with you. Thank you for calling. Sixty-seven years old. I never thought I would go into the new world of high <laughs> finance, but I find myself, even when I'm carrying cash, to predominantly use the credit card. And I believe that uh, I've been trapped into this process because uh, I like to get the rebates, uh, yeah. cash back, if you will, on the cards. And uh, there you go. I find it very convenient to use. I have almost reached the point that I don't care the size of the purchase because the merchant doesn't seem to care. And if they do, uh, they will tell you, sorry, it's under five bucks uh, cash right. only. And that's fine. So uh, you, I mean, so you would say, so nowadays, even if you've got some cash with you, you're pretty much always going to go with the credit card route, huh? I would guess nine out of ten times I typically will do that. Interesting. And I can't remember the last time I've paid for a dinner or a larger item. Uh, without using the credit card for the reason that I already presented. yeah you get the rebate right you you get the rebate so why not yeah why not get the points interesting I get and I I, I think more people are like that okay on our text line Jeff I'm 56 I've always used cards instead I've used cards instead of cash for almost 15 years now um, I only use cash if I think I'm going to go somewhere where the place I am going will only take cash huh huh. All right. Now, see, Drew says, so if no cash, how can you tip a bellman at a hotel? Um, if you're in a rural area with no phone lines for credit cards, I, that's, I mean, that's sort of the issue. Um, Kathy writes, how would you pay a babysitter if there wasn't cash? Um, well, I mean, it would be, 
it would be checks, um, you know, perhaps. But, but you know, I, I think that the people who write checks nowadays, that's really going to be a dying breed. Because I have to tell you, I think, and I it took me a little while to get to this stage, but I write, I won't say I write no checks, but I write a lot fewer checks. I mean, for me... It's all it's all auto pay type of stuff, you know. The, they certainly with the regular bills, the credit card accounts, the the uh, the uh, We Energies, the phone company, the cell phone company, the cable company, all those different things. They're all in the auto pay thing, and so you know when the bill comes in, a lot of times I even get it electronically via the email. I just go, you know, you open up the account, and I, there's different ways to do it. I mean, I I just pay it through. The bank account. I don't have the automatic deductions or something. But I mean, I've probably taken the number of checks that I write, and I, I know I've cut them down by, in any given month, I know I've cut them down by fifty percent, probably even more. Typically, the only checks I don't uh, that I, the only checks I write out are to either small businesses that I do business with, like the lawn care service that don't have an automatic bill pay thing set up, or that irregular bill that, that ends up coming in. And I could probably figure out a way to, to pay that as well. So I think that, uh, you know, actually, I think the um, I think checks are really going to go the way of the dinosaur. Pete says, I use my credit cards for everything, including my business. Again, it's all about the cash rebates, which is driving that. I, it's, it's just an interesting phenomenon. And like I said, that's why I find this to be so fascinating. I do think, just like newspapers are going to be around, um, I don't know about landline telephones, but I, I do think at least until a lot of us dinosaurs completely and totally age out, uh, and move on to whatever is next. I, I think that there's always going to be there's always going to be cash, and there's going to always be a role for cash. But um, take it from me: if you are under a certain age, just like you probably never read a hard copy of a newspaper, if you are under a certain age, you have probably rarely, rarely used cash to pay for anything. And you know, honestly, if you're you know I've, these studies that say if you're ten years old or younger, your kids. That's your kids or that's your grandkids. They might never, ever use cash. It's 1126. It's Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And a couple people are saying, well, what would you do for the exotic dancers? I don't know. Don't care. We'll figure that out. (laughs) You'll figure that out. I am sure. I am sure if cash goes away. There will be there will be a way to figure that out as as well. Yeah, well, yes. Once that happens, Hondo says we'll brainstorm. We'll do a separate segment on that. If there's no cash, how do you tip the exotic dancers? I don't know. Um, stick around. It's eleven twenty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's 1129, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, Mary Angela writes, small businesses love cash. Um, We pay the services for rewards programs. As merchants, I welcome Bitcom, Bitcoin. That's the uh, future. Yeah, that's, I haven't haven't quite gotten into that yet, but I think that is potentially the future as well. The idea of toll roads is back on the table in Madison. Are GOP lawmakers seriously considering this as a way to pay for the state's transportation needs? Scafidi and Billstadt have the new details that is today at 1235. Okay, we have reached that point in the week where um, we invite in a couple guests. We call it the Week in Review. We talk about some of the week's big issues. I'm going to be joined in just a couple minutes by my friends Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson.
1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's the Week in Review. We are live streaming on Facebook Live. So if you go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you will be able to see this as we as we go through the show. We are joined, as always, by my dear friend Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Hello. Good morning. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. All right. Um, by the way, happy Mother's Day to you both. I know Aww. you're both moms, and Thank that's you coming too. up. Yeah, that's it. All right. Let's see. Where where do we start? Oh, yes. Let's start with the thing that everybody has been talking about. Um, earlier this week, President Trump surprises a number of people by, maybe everybody, by summarily dismissing James Comey, the director of the FBI. This has set off a firestorm that continues to this day. Um, the allegations are Trump was trying to, he was doing this to try to, I don't know, thwart an investigation the FBI might have been conducting into collusion between his campaign or himself and the Russians during the election. All right, Susie, first of all, um, how was this handled? Was the timing awful? Are the optics awful? What do you think happened here? Well, for those who voted for a buffoon candidate and Donald Trump, they're getting a buffoon president. I mean, he did. He is not handling this well at all. Um, I do wonder who are his counselors these days and what are they telling him? Um, there's so many things to talk about here, but I do want to talk about the timing because that seems to be what everybody's, what a lot of people, especially the Democrats, are talking about. And I read a really good analogy that was in the Atlantic, and it went like this: the Let's say you're an editor of a newspaper and you hire an ombudsman for three years and this guy is supposed to kind of you know be a watchdog on your reporters and make sure the newsroom is doing things ethically and let's say you're halfway through his contract and he he's a sloppy writer and he's making big mistakes and maybe they're not big enough to get fired but it's you you want him gone okay right. so what do you do are you gonna kind of wait until his three years is up and then say we need to do a better job finding a new ombudsman or are you going to fire him? Okay, then let's say this guy starts to talk negatively, say some bad things about people that are close to you, maybe writing an article that's scathing about someone that's close to you. Do you, at that point, fire him? No, absolutely not. Cause that, so you're saying if he was going to fire him, he should have dumped him a couple months ago. Dumped him months ago, or you just let it go. I mean, the FBI is one of those institutions that you don't touch if you're the president unless there was an obvious, obvious error, and not just a bunch of little things. Well, but, okay, go ahead, Tracy. He was, he, I think he was pretty busy, whether, whether you agree with him or not, he was pretty busy doing a lot of other stuff a, a while ago. And I think the timing of it, is something that I think a lot of, especially the Democrats, are going to point to. I talk to my Republican colleagues, friends, and they're like, hey, man, this is just do it. He should have done it a long time ago. I'm not sure the timing. Um, people well, the want Democrats to- wanted him. I mean, up until two but, weeks ago, I mean, the Democrats but, were the one that wanted him to go because they think they caught, he cost but, Hillary the election. But here's the thing, and I, I think this it, it, the, the timing is actually good because it helps the conversation for us to really look at this and say, is this a political position? Because he proved that he could not be uh, impartial. He was he was getting twisted with all of the the speaking points in the media and you are not supposed to know who the FBI director is. You it is one of those under the radar positions. You are not supposed to be in the media. I think he screwed up whether well, it was he, his he fault or ser- not July 5th. I, well, he made a series of mistakes. I I think when he came out and decided to reveal to talk about the investigation and why he was recommending no charges against Hillary and then 
then you know have to back off that when the the whole um, the the other email showed up. I mean, he definitely no, had kind of gone back and forth. Yeah, yeah. but but why is this out in the public? These are supposed to be investigations yeah. for our national security. I mean, I look at the media talking points, and you get lost in what the real issue is. And I think what what I read in Comey's letter when he was dismissed is. I think he knew that he was he couldn't be impartial. He was getting bombarded from every which way on what he said, what he didn't say, the timing of his comments, did they all align up? And I think he was in a no-win position. He knew it from, from the minute anyone was elected that he was a goner Does at this point. do anything to impact the investigation? And the point I, I think I've been making is if this, if this was really like a Watergate type of thing yeah. and an effort to try to stifle an investigation – you could not have gone about it in a worse way because, I mean, now, now again, this is front and center, and it will be for, for weeks. But aren't they going to call it a, a, a special well, force I, yeah, together? I, they, I think they have to. And, you know, special prosecutor. A, a prosecutor, I think so. I, 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 look, at the acting de- um, guy at the FBI, yeah. he's, he's saying that, okay, so Comey, yeah, he made mistakes. He was really well regarded. And if you're working at the FBI and you've got – the president of the United States now threatening. I don't know if you saw the tweet this morning, but he put out a threatening tweet to Comey saying, look at, you know, you better not or I'm going to. Well, I mean, start over. Over. let's start over. OK, let's Somebody level knew. set. Let's get this. It, do, do not put this person in the political wind because that is going to that is going to threaten all of us. And if there really is something going on with Russia, which is what they're trying to prove, or maybe it's the Hillary emails, which they're trying to, you know, reopen a, an investigation. But let me let's let's look at the. the one of the things that actually bothers me about this whole thing too is, I, I care about stuff that matters to to all of us. I care about health care. I mean, I, I care about tax reform, and and this this now take, yeah. takes that all off. I mean, I mean, it, it makes it more difficult to get stuff through. But nobody's going to be talking about this nope. for for a few this more is weeks. Be the focus. But but let's let, let's talk about big picture. Do you do you think there's any there? There, I mean, not the question of did Russia try to meddle in U.S. elections. I think that they did. The question is, did members of the Trump campaign or the president himself collude with Russians to mess with the campaign? Do you think there's any there there? I don't I I don't think they will be able to prove that he did this openly and knowingly given that he is not a politician mm. he there may be some some there, there. influence and they might be able to show that but i don't think this is going to lead to an impeachment if if that's what you're asking i, mm. I, I don't yeah, think I, well they're starting to talk about it now they are I mean, yeah, we're but they've been about talking about it since before but he it's, was it, we're ramping up today it's it's out there i, mean, I don't you, think there's anything there and i don't think they're gonna be able to prove it. i don't know i i you know back to your point though health care and taxes this is so sad and you know i did not vote for donald trump because i was afraid that this may happen and no matter if there was a there there or not we are so distracted you know at the 100 day mark you could say he was he had a good week okay he had a good week and now this and this is not going away anytime soon see maybe i'm just maybe i'm just not cynical enough i mean what i really think happened here is it, it trump trump is used to being like the king you know i mean if somebody you know ticks him off for want of a better phrase when he was in private when the private sector he'd whistle him in he'd fire him 
I think he got mad at Comey. I think he got progressively. Sure. He didn't like the fact that Comey wouldn't back him up when he came out with the stuff about the, the wiretaps of Obama or anything like that. And he heard that Comey was saying some bad things about him behind his back. And I just I can just see him stewing and getting angrier and angrier. And finally, he just PO'd. You know, oh, and, yeah. and, and that, acting like Trump. Right. And that, that's and I guess I mean, I, now I understand all this stuff is being second guessed. And, you know, sure. people are looking for all these effort their motives. And maybe I'm just too simplistic. I don't think there was an effort to cover stuff. I just think he got mad yeah. at the guy and you're fired. Yeah. But what's so disturbing to me is that he's attacking institutions now. And you have Republicans and Democrats that are saying, you know what, you, you, whether or not he you know, violated any laws or broke any laws, okay, that's separate than attacking norms and, yeah. the, and, and institutions and yeah. the way we do I, things in this I country. think he would have been better off either firing Comey right away or waiting six months. Yeah. You know, and I, we would I, have had this discussion six months ago, though, and they would have said there was cover-up. Right. I think this is an opportunity to level set, and I know they had talked about some different structures, and, and maybe that's this opportunity, because we do need to have trust and faith mm-hmm. in whoever's running our FBI. It's not a political position. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about something near and dear to the heart of, I know, Tracy Johnson, at least, taxes to pay for roads and buses and things like that. Stick around. It's 1143. It's 1147, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's the Week in Review, joined by Tracy Johnson and Susie Falk. All right. The state legislature is considering eliminating the $30 Milwaukee County wheel tax. Um, Chris Abley wanted to raise it to $60. That went down um, in a flaming heap uh, during the, the latest elections. But the bill would eliminate the $30 wheel tax, and it could only then be reinstituted if there was another referendum. Tracy Johnson, good idea, bad idea? Well, I, I think, I mean, we could talk about the transportation proposal all day long, but um, I, one thing You're about... You're still trying to spend all our money on that transportation I, um, thing. No. I <laughs> <laughs> well, what I think is strange about this language and this move is that it it pinpoints and targets Milwaukee County and there are what 15 other municipalities that have these wheel taxes that would not be removed and and the really troubling thing I think about this whole situation with the state legislature and the local governments is that the local governments don't have any other way to raise revenue Mm -hmm. and especially for Milwaukee County which relies heavily on transit and transportation um, we're talking about a seven million dollar hole for this year and 16 million dollars for for next year and they just don't have any way to increase revenue and and what they're gonna do is they're gonna cut lines and they're gonna cut transportation and so I I mean I think it it's gonna hurt the people it's not intended to hurt We agree on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, It seems odd that they would throw this out there, especially, you know, at the state level, the Republicans want to see more local control in government. So this is government locally controlling how to raise their money and how to spend it. So I think it's sort of weird that Madison would do this to Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And I know they're still negotiating, and I hope that common sense prevails and it gets restored. Well, this is one where I, I, my opinion, I think, is nuanced in this. I hate, hate, hate the wheel tax. Um, I, I think... If somebody wants to run against Chris Abley based on the wheel tax when he's up next, I, I'm I'm there. You know they okay. can have airtime and stuff um, against the people on the county board that voted for this. I, I'm I'm there. But again, I'm with you to the extent that I think this is an issue of local control. I, I don't understand singling out more. And I also think you have every right to say, hey, going forward, you know, if you're going to do additional ones, it's got to be by referendum. I'm cool with all that. I do have issues with singling out Milwaukee County and saying you can't have your $30 wheel tax. Um, so I, I do think this is a question of local control, but that comes from somebody who hates, 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 hates the, the wheel tax. And uh, rather than imposing a wheel tax, maybe 
maybe don't spend millions of dollars on the not-so-rapid bus line that you're going to tear up the roads with. But Um, here's the other thing. Chris Abley, in a county executive, is not one who is looking for frivolous things to spend money on. I think mm -hmm. he's very pragmatic, and, uh, you know, I think... Again, okay, singles out. Okay, Milwaukee now I, I, I now I understand you're you're distinguishing that between uh, Tom Barrett and the trolley that's going to cost a hundred plus million dollars. That's going to be a complete, <laughs> in my opinion, waste. But I mean, I, I I point to that again. I point to the bus line, which I think is you know completely unnecessary. But we'll discuss that another day. All right, All right a news article this week, um, Associated Press story suggesting that voter ID requirements in Wisconsin disenfranchised large numbers of voters. And they went out and they found a couple of what I would describe as the unicorns, the woman that lost her lost her driver's license a week before the election and then showed up and didn't have it. Okay, in any sort of meaningful fashion, did voter ID cause people not to be able to vote in this last election? No, no I think that's ridiculous. And I read the article and they used a lot of numbers yeah. that if you wanted to make the case, you could make the case 300,000 people, Hillary Clinton lost by 22,000 votes, whatever. Um, I think at the end of the day, the, the when you look at how voters are organized and how this voter ID uh, requirement was, was uh, marketed, they actually went to the communities where those mm-hmm. disenfranchised people live. They would be the most vo- motivated to get those IDs, become voters, and get educated on the issues. I, I think it's ridiculous. I didn't read the article. I've been focused on national news. But I, you know, I, I do appreciate that we should try to extend the franchise to as many as we can. I also think that you should be able to prove who you are when you show up in a, in a polling place. I, you know, you mm-hmm. have to bring your ID to the airport. You should have to bring your ID. to. It's, it's just, look, at voting is a serious matter. Look what we have for a president, right? So, but... That's that's three. That's three Trump slams in the space of twenty minutes. That's Susie Falk who's doing that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so Tracy, you and I are also on board. Yeah. Well, Same I, guess, issue. I mean, again, I, I again, I, I look at this too. I mean, to me, I just don't think it is unreasonable. Um, and, and there's always going to be those situations. Okay. Like the, the example they're pointing to is you've got some guy who's a retired Navy guy who moves to Wisconsin several years ago, and he, he hasn't gotten a Wisconsin driver's license. So he goes to try to vote using an Illinois driver's license, and then we'll take it. Well, okay, sorry. I mean, it, it's like with registration. You have to you know, go in X number of days before and prove that you live where you live. I mean, I, don't, I guess I don't – to me, it's simple enough to do, and if you really care, you can go and you don't show up with the appropriate ID. You can vote provisionally, and then you can go get the ID and, and come back. So there's always going to be those unicorns out there, but I don't see that as a major issue. All right, let me take a quick break. When we come back, we've got our Right Stuff Award, something that everybody looks forward to. Stick around. It's 11.52. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. It's the Week in Review. 11.55, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Breaking news. Um, Republican National, the Republican National State Republican Convention is in the Dells this week. Uh, Scott Walker telling Wisconsin Republicans, same thing he told me a few weeks ago, um, that he's ready for a likely re-election bid. So I think that's, I don't know if that's really breaking news, but that's uh, <laughs> that's where we're going. Okay, this is our Right Stuff Awards. Susie Falk, who wins this week for you? Uh, Senator Darling for pulling out transportation funding from the bill. I think that it makes sense. She's trying to get um, bipartisan support to get something passed, to make something happen. It sounds like common sense to me. So my shout-out goes to Senator Darling. 
Tracy Johnson. I, uh, I, I unfortunately, wait my turn. it's not, it's not going to happen, you know. But <laughs> well, she, she proposed. You know what, yeah, she but, proposed it. I, right? No, I that's wish fair. That it would. Good for her. I, I, I don't editorialize on the Right Stuff Awards. <laughs> Tracy Johnson. All right, my Right Stuff Awards goes to Betsy DeVos, uh, U.S. Secretary of Education. Uh, she gave a commencement speech uh, bravely this week at Bethune Cookman University in Florida, a historic black college. And although she was booed and hissed for what. Many t- said were insensitive comments related to school choice and the relationship to historic black colleges. She quickly apologized and clarified her position. Nevertheless, I think she handled the situation um, with poison grace and delivered uh, a message to those who would listen about taking their newly earned degrees and using them in the world for good. Many would have canceled, I think, that appearance. And on that note, uh, the right stuff to all the graduates this weekend and treat your commencement speakers with respect. Yeah, I thought the, uh, actually, I thought the behavior by the students at Bethune-Cookman was just boorish in the extreme. I mean, because she's an invited guest, she's the the Secretary of Education, and you have a lot of these people who decide to heckle and shout and then turn their backs on her. Um, What about the other people that wanted to hear the speech? But she handled it, I think, greatly and Mm -hmm, and really leveraged the message. Okay, um, my Right Stuff Award is a broader one. Um, this is Mother's Day, and as I acknowledged at the beginning, you know, with Happy Mother's Day to you know both Tracy and uh, Susie here, um, Happy Mother's Day to all the moms yeah. that are out there. Um, I it's been seven years since my mom Ann passed away, and I miss her to this day. And I just you know you think back on all the times and the opportunities. So um, if we've learned nothing over the course of uh, the last few years, at least for me, it is that uh, life is, in fact, short. So for those of you out there who still have your moms with you, um, treasure it, because it's not always going to be that case. So happy Mother's Day to everybody. That's my Right Stuff Award uh, winner um, for all the moms. Thank everybody uh, for watching the Week in Review.